You know, if I ask you what's Christmas about, uh, the typical response is in one word, it's about Jesus. But the important question is, what about him? I mean, why is this such a significant thing that all of the world, all of the nation, all of these families, they got lights all over the place and trees and presents, some big celebration. And the question is, what's it all about? You know, easily missed, my friend. So take a look with me, if you will, so that we do not miss Christmas this year. Well, in verse 1, as we uh, begin our study here, we're, we're looking at the days now after Jesus was born. Now, Jesus, you know, uh, we, we've read about his genealogy, we've read about his family and his history, and, you know, the, the point of the book of Matthew is to present the king. So try and keep that in mind as we go through this. It's not hard in light of the story. You know, we're going we're gonna to follow some people that, that are, you know, we don't know a lot about, but we're going to really highlight the things we do know about them. And these are the wise men, okay? So take a look with me. <coughs> I think that's what the story is really focused on here. Notice, you know, uh, there, there are some things that the wise man overcame to experience Christmas, I want you to think about it. Christmas happens once. We celebrate it, but there was one event in all of history when the Son of God took on flesh, became man, added humanity to himself to reveal who God is, that we might know him more in a personal. How, what would God do? Take a look at Jesus, you know? And ultimately, to take on flesh that he might die for humanity, for you and for I. You know, so here is this enormous event. Let's not miss the importance of what's going on here. And I want you to notice first that these wise men overcame a great distance that they wouldn't miss Christmas. Now, the scripture here tells us in verse 1 something about their origin. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea... In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. Now, there are all sorts of theories that maybe they were from Babylon, and you know, there's an easy tie there in trying to explain what were these people doing here. You know, that uh, uh, in the Older Testament, you know, that how the Old Testament ends is that people are coming back, the, the Israel, the nation is coming back from captivity in Babylon. You know, the Babylonians, the Assyrians were you're used by God to discipline, to bring judgment on, on sinful people, <coughs> took them captive for 70 years, and the, the Old Testament ends with them returning, you know, just that God had promised them. But they spent 70 years there, and surely one would just think that they left an indelible mark there in their beliefs, in their teaching. Certainly we read about Daniel in this captivity and the influence he had there. You've got prophets prophesying and, and all sorts of teaching. And, and you think, well, maybe this had something to do with it. If they did come from Babylon, it was like a 900-mile trip. Imagine how inconvenient that was. They didn't have one of those gas gauges, you know, it's a boom, 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 or a whole lot of walking. You know, if they went 20 miles a day, you know, it would take them like uh, almost two months to get there. 
So, so some serious overcoming of a great distance here, coming from the east. And you know what it says here? Look at here. And behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. <coughs> now, a bit of a quiz here. Where was Jesus born? Anybody, anybody? Say it loud. Bethlehem. Apparently, the revelation that we're going to see that God had given them only led them to Jerusalem. So a limited amount of revelation to bring them to the place that God wanted them to be in order that they would experience what they experienced, that they would have an impact that God wanted them to have there. And what was that? Well, first, we've looked at their origin. How about their objective? You know, here they are. They came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to, say the word with me, worship him. Worship. There it is, my friends. They came to worship him. They didn't come out of curiosity. Oh, we want to see him. What is going on? What is, are the cows really lowing? You know, whatever that means, you know. Is he, is he laughing? What's his giggle sound like, you know? It wasn't curiosity, my friends. They came to worship him. And there is his objective. Now, the big question, what about this star? You know, it's a most unusual thing, and people have tried to answer this throughout time. You know, was this planets aligning that somehow seemed to, at least to their perspective, move? Because we know stars don't move, you know? I mean, that was settled a long time ago, friends. The Earth rotates around the sun, not the opposite, right? So, uh, so, so what about this, this star? Well, friends, I think something like this should have been expected, I mean, in studying the Word of God, what do we know about God? Well, we know that whenever God brought, manifested Himself, I mean, that there was all something unusual about it. For example, going back to Moses and the burning bush. You know, it wasn't just a bush, it was on fire, but it was not consumed. Now, in Exodus, Moses was allowed to see God's backside. And afterward, you remember, his face shone. You know, so much so that it eventually it started to fade. And they, they put a, a covering over so that people wouldn't see the glory fading from his face. You know, we, we talked recently about building this temple. You remember when David wanted to build it, but ultimately gathered all these materials so that his son Solomon could build it. And when it was complete, the glory of God filled this place. And we notice that uh, as the years gone by and sin increased, ultimately the glory departed from the temple. Key word there is Ichabod. Kavod is the word glory in Hebrew, and the glory was gone. And so it seems that there is this pattern of unusual things when God is manifest. I mean, talk about the life of Christ. You know, um, how about uh, at his baptism? You know, the, the, this, the spirit of God descending at him like a dove. Didn't say he was a dove, but like a dove would descend. And the voice of God from heaven, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased you know, so we have these unusual manifestations of God. <coughs> I 
mean, we could go on to his transfiguration. How about this? He called Peter, James, and John out from among the disciples, and he was transfigured before them. And they were cast backward because of this revelation of his glory, you know? So this manifestation, unusual, but certainly not unusual. How about, uh, how about midday darkness and an earthquake at his death? about these visible angels at his resurrection. Certainly it would be expected in light of knowing all of these things that there would be something that would stand out. And what better way to announce the coming of Jesus, God's son, the second person of the Trinity than by an expression of Shekinah glory. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know that it was announcing and coming with the birth, uh, to the incarnation of the Son of God. Well, my friends, they, they not only overcame a great distance in verses 1 and 2, we notice that they endured great hostility. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, the thing about Herod, when Herod's troubled, everybody's troubled. This dude was one crazy guy. You know, here we see this threatened king. Now, a couple of things to know about him is that he was uh, not uh, a Jew. He was an Edomite, descendant of Esau, not Jacob. And that Abrahamic covenant that went from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to... And you just read and you know Genesis and you know the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then it looks like Joseph, but the promise was given to Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. You know, so this guy didn't belong on this throne. He was appointed by a Roman Senate, and he was cruel and paranoid. You know, Herod the Great, he, <coughs> he was a bad dude. He was a great builder of public works, a shrewd diplomat in his dealings with Romans and Jude, but he laid oppressive taxes and conscripted labor from the Israelites, and as he grew older... He became increasingly paranoid. I mean, he had numerous sons and wives and others close to him. He just put them to death, you know, because he feared that there would be plots to overthrow him. He killed everyone around him, it seemed. You know, and after frequent disputes with, <laughs> disputes with Caesar, Caesar Augustus, the emperor uttered his famous pun, perhaps you've heard, that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son, you know, and there, there, there's this rhyme and uh, hiss and huios in Greek, and, you know, it's, it's kind of an inside thing, little, sounds close anyway, you know. But he was, he was a messed up guy, and it was a dangerous thing when Herod got upset because somebody, it seemed, was going to die soon, you know. So he faced a threatened king and a threatened people, you know. Verse uh, 3 at the end here says, and all Jerusalem with him. You know, now what, what was it that upset them? You know, we get this image in the, you know, we have little nativity scenes that they got the three little guys with gifts in them, you know, and likely this was more like caravan kind of stuff. You know, the, these, these guys, you know, the Magi is, and, and Daniel had a mix with these guys. You remember the king, he had a dream. He says, you tell me what it is, you know, and they, these guys couldn't figure it out, but Daniel knew because he had the spirit of God to reveal it. You know, they, they, they were known as wise men who knew things, you know. 
But here comes this caravan from Babylon, scary stuff in the memory of uh, Jews to be sure, you know. And, uh, and they're threatened, all Jerusalem with them. So we got a lot of shaking going on here, you know. So they, they overcame a great distance. They endured this hostility, knowing what they could face. I mean, he was famous throughout the empire for just being a bloody man. And finally, here in verse 7, they overcame the indifferent. The indifferent. Friends, let's not miss this part. This is really where I want to bask here this morning. The indifferent. The greatest event in all of history where God demonstrates his love for us. And he sends his son And his son takes the form of a servant, adds flesh to himself. He lives as a man, weak. I I can't even imagine the the inhumanity (laughs) that he experienced. You know, the the violence, the accusations. Oh, good night. The horrible things people said about him. Here he is, the creator. And the creation is wagging their finger. Such a humiliation. But he did that for us. What a great event. God becomes man. And the fact is, these people knew the answers. Look at here in verse 4. So here's Herod, and he's assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, well, you know, we'll have to look that. They didn't have to do that at all. They knew exactly where the Christ. I want you to notice all of the the, the, uh, wise men, they said, where is the king who is to be born king of the Jews? But they instantly knew the connection with the Christ here. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And here they are quoting it. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew the answer. You knew the answer too. See, the wondrous thing about Christianity is is there's no real credit for just knowing. Getting the answers right means very little in the Christian faith. It's what you do with it. You know, there's no quiz to get into heaven, my friends. There is no quiz that will bring you joy in your life. Well, I know the right answers. You know what what people who know the right answers are? These are the people who get arrogant. You know, they, they walk around like just by simply knowing something, they have something more than you. My friends, it's not about what we know. It's about what we do with what we know. And here they are. They knew the answer. They heard about this, this shaking going on. Where are these people? And they're seeking a, a, a child who is born to be king. And something about a star, some miraculous event perhaps going on. And what did they do? Well, they simply answered the question and went about their day. They missed it. They missed it. In verse 7, we see that Herod has a little private meeting with these uh, wise men. 
some crazy stuff. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And so here's Herod, seemingly with the opportunity to get involved with this. Wait a minute. All of the promises, the prophecies that were foretold may be happening right before my eyes. And he missed it. (coughs) Verse 8 tells us, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. But you and I know he had no intent. Here was this great opportunity for him to go and worship the king of kings, the savior who would come and die for his sin. And he missed it. And he missed it. Chief priests, they they knew exactly where Christ was to be born. I mean, these were the theologians, the minds, the brains, and the pharisaical aristocracy. I mean, these, these were the big dudes, you know? The religious elite in Israel, they knew the Scripture well enough that they didn't have to look it up. They didn't have to say, I don't know. I remember something about that. They knew the answers, and they missed it. My greatest fear for Family Bible Church is that we know the answers and never get around to acting on them. The proper response to Christmas is worship. The very Son of God from all eternity, because of his great love for you, humbled himself, took the form of a servant, and died for you. Worship. It is the proper response to Christmas. I want you to take a look here as we continue on that these wise men, having overcome some treacherous things here, a great distance, a great hostility, but ultimately they worshipped him. Verse 9 says, they followed the star, and listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because they saw the star? No, because the star took them exactly where their heart wanted to be, to worship the king. And I want you to notice here in verse 11, they found the child. And going into the house, let me read that again. Where did the wise men find this child? In a house. Certainly he was born and laid in a manger, but that had been some time now. They were in a house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they worshipped him. Now, it doesn't say they sang songs and listened to preaching. That certainly can be an act of worship, you know, listening to God's word carefully that you might act on it, honoring him with your obedience singing songs that reflect the desires of your heart to worship and to obey. What it does tell them, this description of their worship looks like this. They fell down and worshiped him. They humbled themselves down on their knees. They did not stand back with introspection about the wonder that they fell to their knees, my friends. That's some humility. 
And they gave him generous gifts, sacrifice, sacrifice. They humbled themselves. They gave generous gifts. Then opening their treasures, the scripture says, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all valuable. The gold certainly in itself is very valuable, but also these spices of frankincense and myrrh, they gave generously an act of worship to let go and to give. Humbled themselves, they gave generous gifts. And then here in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And they obeyed. The revelation that they had, they responded in obedience. A star, a light that they followed was all that they had. It took them to Jerusalem. Where is he? We've come as far as we can go. Where is he? <coughs> had the interaction that God had intended. An invitation for others to join. And they knew the answers and they never moved. They found the star, they found the child, and they worshiped. What did worship look like for them? humbling themselves, giving generously and obeying God. Perhaps for us, uh, some good instruction in this season. If you are to celebrate this incarnation of the Son of God who came to reveal God to us and ultimately died for our sin, <coughs> humbling yourself before him could be a good start. giving to him abundantly and obeying him. It all honors God. <coughs> so I would encourage you, my friends, to move beyond acknowledging Jesus and worship him this Christmas. Move beyond just acknowledging him. Don't let the Facebook <laughs> uh, practice uh, slip into your life where click this equals one honor and worship. My friends, click and nothing doesn't do a thing. It's not about putting up the decorations, although those ought to be a reminder, I would hope, you know, of the fact that Christ died for your sin. He rose from the dead to give you life, to give you hope, to reconcile you to God. My friends, Move beyond just acknowledging Jesus and worship him. Focus your worship on the God who came for you, the Savior who came. Don't be distracted by those who don't get it. Don't join in their follies, my friend. Christmas is about one thing. It is about the worship of God who sent his son. So don't be distracted by those who don't get it. And don't miss out on the evangelism opportunities that this year brings. All of Christmas focuses on Jesus. If that isn't a transition into the gospel, my friends, I don't know what is. I would hope that at some point you get to talk about Jesus because of Christmas. You know, when the Spirit of God begins to nudge, and you know it, friends, you know what that's like, and you have a choice. <coughs> do I honor him by opening my mouth and telling others 
Do I show the same love that God showed me by telling them the truth, by telling them about what Christ has done and how they ought to respond? Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas this year. It's not about the gifts. I know we're busy and the decorating is so pretty and the snow is so warm. Don't miss it, friends. Enjoy all the things that God has given you, brought into your life. That's wonderful. But don't miss the opportunity of worship.